right, welcome to Old School. Jake, you're Michael Shore, Mondale Robinson with you guys. When Mondale's not busy knocking over Confederate monuments, he joins us. He's also on Rebel Headquarters, check him out there. And of course, the mayor of Enfield, North Carolina. Um, so uh, I'm gonna start super random here, just because it's top of mind and then later we'll get to other nonsense topics uh, that you're dying to get to slash don't know. Um, including, do you still have any right wing friends? Interesting, <laughs> thoughts on Jimmy Buffett, interesting. Um, so Mondale, um, when people say like Joe Biden, it has to be him, it can't be anyone else, he's the only one that could beat uh, Donald Trump. I often say, are you kidding me? I give me any Democrat and they'll beat Donald Trump. Since you're a Democratic mayor, do you take personal offense at that? I take personal offense to anybody, even when the party calls people Joe Biden voters. People didn't vote for Joe Biden in 2020, they voted against Donald Trump. And until we acknowledge this and acknowledge the fact that Joe Biden does not speak for the majority of the party, especially not the progressive wing that carried the party in 2020, we're gonna continue to be in close races or races that we shouldn't be close in. Of course, any Democrat can beat Donald Trump. Damn near any person living can beat Donald Trump if they put up a, 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 a campaign, any type of campaign. This idea that Joe Biden is the end all be all for Democrats, it's scary and it also speaks down upon people who are working every day to engage with voters that saying something completely different than this, Jink. Okay, before Michael responds, we're gonna move to another topic. Okay, good enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Biden's a long time Biden fan, but I'm on your side, Mondale. Well, it's not just that I'm an, an, a long time Biden fan, I am a long time Biden fan, but but I don't want him to be to run for president. I, oh, is that right? I didn't yeah, even know I'd that. I prefer he stand down if he runs. Uh, All right, then sign the petition, tyt.com slash drop out. But, but, <laughs> um, but I also understand why a sitting US president with a good record and um, a seemingly good shot of beating Donald Trump doesn't want to step down either. I mean, I understand all of that. I just wish that he would. And I think that his family wants him to and I think he's going to. So that's the other side of it. I don't agree that people didn't vote for Joe Biden last time. I think a lot of people did vote for Joe Biden. I was out there with them. But there were a lot of people who vote for somebody because they think they have the best chance of beating someone too. So you don't know, I don't think there was this Biden passion that you've seen about different candidates at different times. A lot of the voters that I saw around the country last time said, I, I like Joe Biden a lot. And I think he's got the best shot of beating Trump of everyone who's running right now, which is you know a reasonable reason for voting for someone at that time. But I don't yeah. think he's the only one who can do that this so time. So I'm gonna get off of politics, uh, certainly uh, heavy duty politics uh, and get on to more social stuff. But uh, Mondale, I literally thought about naming you in a tweet today when somebody was <laughs> like, Oh, Joe Biden's the only one who could win. I'm like, name a mayor, name a governor. Yeah, I was like, you know what, Mondale Robinson. That's who could beat Donald <laughs> Trump. Okay, so there you go. So I might yet still do that. So I'm putting you on one. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm ready for it. Listen, I just, real quick before you hop off politics, Michael. Just my my simple pushback when I say people didn't vote for Joe Biden. I'm not saying in a conspiratory way where Donald Trump actually didn't. Oh no, no, I know that. I I I heard it as you know Democrats right. weren't for Biden; they were against Trump right. mostly. And yeah. The reason I said. Right, and the reason I say that, Michael, is because if you look at the numbers, the, the growth in population that didn't vote in 2016 or hadn't voted in a primary or a Democratic election, 
um, up before Barack Obama's or since Barack Obama's election in 2012, the largest increases actually didn't take place in the general election. They took places in the primary when Joe Biden was already in the states where Joe Biden was already the nominee. So i.e. Georgia and Florida, where you saw 144,000 black men who did not vote for Barack Obama come out and vote in the Democratic primary. Like I said, Joe Biden was already nominee, so they weren't out voting for him. And Warnock had a special election, so he wasn't the top of the ticket. These people were excited about those local elections. And I think if we're being honest, we need to talk about the power of voting down ballot to increase what's happening at the top of the ticket. Because we've already seen the lie about you know people being excited about the top of the ticket and then yeah. just dropping off. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, getting people excited about off year elections has been a problem in America for the last 150 years anyway. And so it's not gonna get cured overnight. So when there's a presidential, that's when people tend to show up. And I'm just saying that I don't think that it was exclusively people who were just coming out to vote anti-Trump. I think there are a lot of people that like Joe Biden a lot. There are a lot of people that kind of wanted that kind of president to take us from one part of American history to the other. But I think a lot of them also didn't want him to stick around. They sort of thought he'd be a one-term president who would do his job and then hand the baton off. And it's all happened except the handing of the baton so far. Yeah, all right, as we leave the topic, I'll give last word to Wolf Dragon Donna, who wrote in <laughs> in our member section. And she's given you guys a new nickname. Uh, Michael and Mondale, the M and M's. Yeah, that's okay. right. Okay, and that yeah. way Tucker Carlson could be opposed to your clothing, your attire, right? Uh, not find you sexy enough. So these, there's a lot of wins in here. As long okay. as I can be the green one, <laughs> I need to be the purple. I need to be the purple one in high heels. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want those sensible shoes. It doesn't turn on Tucker enough. <laughs> Okay, uh, speaking of uh, campaign promises that didn't happen, uh, Tucker Carlson once said, "It's in my book." Have you guys heard about my book? Uh, <laughs> just in your in your book? Huh? Okay, yeah. justice is coming to it.com/justice. Okay, seriously, uh, Tucker said uh, that if Joe Biden wins, they're going to make us drink Starbucks every day. Didn't happen. Interesting, and it's right. weird that he didn't. Well, actually, he did lose his audience. But probably not because of that. But it's weird when right wing media always says nonsense stuff and none of it ever comes true that their audience never goes, hey, wait a minute. Right. The, the, the commandante didn't make me drink Starbucks, did he? Huh? And I'm not in a FEMA camp, am I? Right. And the Ottoman Empire did not get reconstituted by Barack Obama, did it? Yeah, everyone's <laughs> drinking Starbucks, but not because Joe Biden made them. Yeah. <laughs> but Joe uh, Biden needs a Starbucks, right? Like, I mean, he's sleepy. But I, listen, this is not new for the Republican Party to say crazy things like, I don't know, the Red Scare, Joseph McCarthy in 1950s. I mean, this is this is the lies that this party has bought into is nothing new. Even the you know the southern strategy that they use, and I think you started to show off asking, do I have any Republican friends? Jake, this is why I don't. Yeah, well, so that's interesting because that's another thing I wrote about in the book is the southern strategy. And so sometimes people these days they get conspiratorial and they say that I am or Young Turks is or TRT is making a right wing pivot or a Republican pivot. Well. Chapter three of my book is called Why Republicans Suck. And it starts with the Southern strategy. And Mondale, one of the things I say is when my parents came to this country, I was eight years old. My dad was left Turkey and came here for a great number of reasons. But the central one was that there were literally communists that were threatening to kill him in Turkey, okay? Because even though he started out with nothing, he was dirt poor, etc., but he wound up getting into a good college because they had free college. In Turkey, 
Uh, apparently, they could afford it back in the 1960s, but we can't afford it now, even though we're the richest nation. Anyway, uh, and uh, and so he was a Republican, etc. And then I became a Republican because of that, uh, and because of other things. Um, and and I said in the book, if they told me about the Southern strategy, I would have never joined the Republican Party. Who would say like, oh, uh, they they're doing a strategy to appeal to racist voters in the South who they think the Democrats left behind by passing the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act? You want to join that party? I'd be like, uh, no, no, I don't want. I didn't. No, I didn't know that. No, I definitely don't want to join that party. But they never tell you that. Like people will say the Southern strategy and not finish the thought. What is the Southern strategy? Was it to get like millions and millions of votes by appealing to people's taste buds for peach cobbler? <laughs> of course not. Of course not. So you don't have a single right wing friend left. Now, I have no right wing friends, and I and I honestly cannot bring myself to say that this party is not a racist party. And I know that's horrible to say about everybody. I'm not saying that the Republican Party, in general, everybody is racist, but their platform is. They support racist, homophobic, and also anti-immigrant behaviors. When in a country that is based off, I mean, the success of America is based off immigrant populations. So I think you know this idea that you can have sit down and have nice conversation. When I hear Joe Biden always talk about his great friends or his loving friend McConnell, I almost throw up. I mean, literally, this guy is ridiculous. The Supreme Court kind of looks the way it looks because of Mitch McConnell refusing Barack Obama the last year in term. Uh, a Supreme Court justice, and I cannot, for the life of me, sit idle and let people pretend that the Republican Party does not have a serious disdain in the way they do policies against people who look like me. Yeah. Now, one of my best friends is probably, if you you know, analyze his political positions, which I have assiduously avoided doing, uh, you would say that he was right wing, although he lives in a different country, which makes it much easier. Okay, so I don't have to worry about him backing Trump or the Republicans or anything like that. So that's a little bit of a, you know, kind of a not fair answer to this. But um, but you know what's interesting? As you were saying that, Mondale, I thought I mind someone being anti-Muslim less than I mind them being racist against black people. Uh, or being homophobic or any of those things. And I was trying to figure out why as you were finishing up your thought. And I think that it's easier for me to say, I'm okay with it when it's about me. I don't feel like, not only that I can't, I don't want to say I'm okay with it when it's about someone else, another group, right? But um, but I'm curious at what your guys' perspective are. You know, you guys are both minorities in a different way, as I am as well. And so, like for example, I was interviewing this family for a pilot that we shot, and a mixed family, and the matriarch is Republican, very heavily so. Number one, she's a lovely person outside of being a Republican, and that doesn't mean I only saw her for an afternoon. So. As far as I could see, she was a lovely person. But as we got into the conversation, at one point, I told her, "Well, you know, I grew up Muslim, and you know, I'm, I said, I'm an atheist now, but I grew up Muslim." And he's like, "She said when I said I grew up Muslim, she said, oh, that's a shame.' Okay, so <laughs> I laughed. Uh, so I wouldn't have laughed. I mean, that, that's not. I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have laughed. I would have. Yeah. What do you mean? That's a shame. Right? Yeah, I, I would. And, and I don't remember if that's exactly what she said. It's on tape, right? 
and but it was definitely along those lines. And that's I've gotten that a couple of times. And that's what I'm saying, guys. I'm not and it was interesting is that I'm willing to look past it to try to get to agreement when it's about me, but I'm not willing to look past it if she said that about Jewish people or black people, right? And and the reason I'm willing to get past it is because I kind of assume that that's what a significant majority of honestly Americans, not just Republicans, think about Muslims. So I kind of take it as like my base case scenario and then I try to warm them up to like not hating us. Right. Well, there, there's sort of like a humor you can have about it with yourself, but if you, it is still a serious issue. I mean, if you know, if somebody tells me the Jews control the entertainment business, and that's why I'll laugh at that because there is like this humorous thing about that. But it, in point of fact, it's not funny and it isn't productive. And the person who says it, I mean, not that joke because Jews are very self-deprecating. And I think people within any minority or any kind of identity are self-deprecating because they can be. But I just sort of think that there is a difference when the platform, as Mondale said, when the history, as we all know, is a history of exclusion. And it's not just history. It's going to these rallies and speaking to these voters and having them talk about open borders. They don't care about open borders. They care about which border is open. And by the way, none are. But the one that they're talking about is because those people look differently. And when you're in South Dakota and there are lots of Hispanic people living there, all of a sudden that's an adjustment that they have to make as as whatever they are. And so I, it, when it gets into policy, it's a totally different conversation than when it is conversational. And I have, I still have, I have one close friend who's a Republican who always has been, always will be. We don't really talk about it very much, but he's the only one. And I don't have any even, you know, like not close friends who are anything but Democrats as far as I know. So, I, you know, there's some that I don't really, people I work with, I don't talk about politics with a lot except here. But, but um, I think that you know, and it's hard. Like I, he's one of the funniest people I know. I enjoy being around him. As long as we don't talk about what's going on in the world, uh, we're fine. It's hard not to do that, but I guess it's sort of old school not to do that too. And they ought to name a show that. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> before, before Mondale jumps in here, um, I think that as Michael gave that answer, one of the things that jumped out at me is I'm not sure that you'll be able to convert someone into rationality if they say the Jews run all the banks and the media or whatever, all those different things. But if they don't like Muslims, I feel like they, I got a fighter's chance because there isn't, there, because they don't know any Muslims. They've never even run into a Muslim in their life probably. And so all they know is stereotypes and and what and, and an important thing is what a Muslim looks like. I mean, you can say I'm a minority, but I can I've been able to get a cab in New York City my whole life. It's it's what you look like, and it's it's what people who look different. It's it, the party and these platforms, these wedge issues have always been about what people look like. And it's not necessarily you know targeting Jews, for example, who don't look. Hispanic or black or you know what their vision of Muslim is. I'm sure there are a lot of people who'd be surprised to know that you were Muslim, Jenk, because you yeah. don't look what like what the what the stereotype is. And and so that's the other part of it that is that is unavoidable is is the, the people who react to the way someone looks, and that's been historic. 
Yeah, it, it's yeah, I guess I don't, I mean, you could argue it either way, put a mustache on me. <laughs> and trust me that uh, uh, that I look uh, Turkish and uh, put a beard on me and trust me, I look Muslim. In fact, I dated a girl who said, I don't get it, why aren't you like, you say you're Muslim, but. Right. And I'm like, no, that's Michael. You're Mr. Yeah. <laughs> and Mondale, apparently, yeah. too, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, so Mondale, go ahead. Yeah, I think, you know, I think, I don't think your statements, uh, the two of you, uh, are disconnected, uh, Jink and Mike. If you think about it, if you listen to what you said, both of these are byproducts of supremacy of, of whatever kind, right? This idea that I can take on more for my people and I got a fighting chance of making people understand more than you do, uh, say, for your, your tolerance is higher for Muslims because you can explain that away. Like, okay, listen, I grew up in this culture and this is what it is to be um, not what you believe. So you feel like you have more information probably and fighting in that. Whereas I probably feel the same way about you know anti-black behavior. I can argue more and more points, and I'm not going to tolerate one second of homophobic or, or, or anti-Semitic or anti-Muslim behavior. But I, I think both of them, or all, all of that, is still related to the trauma associated with uh, white supremacy. And I, I mean, you know, wh whether Americans know it or not, this idea that you can be anti-Muslim. And love Jesus with their Christian selves uh, is is antithetical to what that man stood for. That man being Jesus, um, because you know, I, I mean, like, I, it's I don't want to make this a Christian or, or religious relationship or conversation, but we have to be honest about this nation that continue, continues to say it's a Christian nation, but won't even acknowledge the role that Islam uh, played in Jesus' life and vice versa. I again, while while Mondale was talking, I figured out a couple of things. Uh, so I, that's why I love having these conversations. That's why I love that old school is like so informal. So because guys, as I was thinking about the Turkish friend that I told you guys and growing up Muslim in Turkey and all this stuff, as you guys were talking, I realized, oh wait, I know why I don't give up on the right wing. Uh, and as much as they frustrate us and they, it's definitely true that they did the southern strategies, definitely true that they're still passing anti-LGBTQ laws all across the country. All those things are absolutely true, right? And are they part of white supremacy, racism, homophobia, etc.? Yes, they are, right? But do they control the entertainment business? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, by the way, when we when Young Turks first came about, it was in it was a radio show. And what we would hear all the time in, in back then, especially from Rush Limbaugh, was um, there's, Hollywood is controlled by liberals, right? And then they would turn around and say, no, 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 we can't put progressives on the radio because liberals don't know how to be entertaining. <laughs> well, you're gonna have to make up your mind about that one, okay? <laughs> so, but. Funny enough, they didn't and they were contradictory and none of their viewers ever or listeners ever noticed. I know, yeah. shocking. Uh, but anyway, so look, here's why. So I grew up in Turkey where everyone, if we're being honest, is what we would colloquially call racist, okay? And so why do I say that? And sorry to all my Turkish family and friends who are gonna hate me. Um, but uh, because if you tell a Turkish guy, hey, uh, you're on the same level or a little lower than a European, he'll get a little offended, uh, and but he won't fight you, right? But if you told him you're lower than an Asian person or an Indian person, just to pick two random ones, okay? They'd be like, <laughs> they wouldn't even get offended. They'd be like, they would think that's the funniest thing they ever heard. There's no way, obviously, the Turks are better than them. 
Okay, and now every Turkish person is going, shh, don't say it, don't, shh, don't say it out loud, but obviously it's true, okay? So now does that mean all, you know, and I say all, of course not all Turkish people, and especially this day and age, things have gotten better, right? Um, when I was growing up in Turkey, it was 40 years ago, so it's been a minute. Um, but, um, but all 80 million people aren't unrecoverable. You see what I'm saying? Like, they're not unredeemable. So it's just that they grew up with that mindset. It's the same mindset that I've I've told you guys this 100 times on the show. When we were kids and we went to New York for Turkish American Day and we blocked all the traffic, which is a great idea, one over a lot of Americans to our side. We would chant this chant, Turkey en büyük başka büyük yok. You guys are all familiar with it. It was catchy anyway. Yeah. And what it means is Turkey is the biggest. There's no other country that's even big. Okay, <laughs> when you grow up in a culture like that, you are not going to think that India is better than Turkey. Okay, that is not a thought that's gonna even occur to you. And so- Yeah, but I mean, isn't yeah. it American culture though? What's that? Like, I mean, isn't it America culture? Like America thinks we're the richest, we're the, we're the best at science, we're the best at math, we're the best at best, we're the most patriotic, we're the only democratic nation. America first is what they try and America sell. America first, yeah. I mean like literally, and it's like, have you read a magazine? Have you seen anything? Cuba has better healthcare than we do. Black men in Cuba live four years longer than I will probably live. And we keep talking about how bad it is in Cuba, go figure. Yeah, no, no, that's of course. And in fact, my sister just got her PhD in in interior design. It's a very specific PhD, interior design related to what's called Orientalism. Don't freak out. That's just the professorial way of calling the East and how the West viewed the East. And and she's like she's of course obviously like me, Turkish Muslim, etc. And and so it really bothered her that the West had all these crazy views of the East. So first of all, they couldn't tell the difference between a Persian, a Turk, and an Arab if their life depended on it, and they'd mislabel everything. And then they the racism was out of control. Okay, so they'd be like, well, you know, the the Turks are a little bit European, arguably, and so they're more civilized and. That's because the Turks had this giant empire at the time and they couldn't wish them away, right? And they're like, but the Arabs are backwards people, just came out of the jungle and and the Bedouins are obviously near animals, right? Etc. And and they'd write that casually, like not a not a not a controversial position. But even the best of them otherized us, right? But I said, Abla, Abla is the older sister in Turkish. I'm like, Abla, of course they're gonna see us as the other. And now that I'm connecting all of this, what do Turks back at home view Indonesians as? The others, right? And they don't know anything about the others. And what they have is a crude, stereotypical, you know, idea of who they are. So I, look, now I'm thinking about it. Now I'm switching my position based on something that just also occurred to me. Look, on the one hand, I'm sure that they're not all unredeemable, and that applies to almost every country in the world. They all have some sort of stereotypical view of others, right? And we've got to work with each other to get to a better place so we know each other better, etc. But now that I think about it, it's a little different because there are no Indonesians in Turkey, whereas there are black people here. And there are Jews and Muslims here, 
I mean, that's there's why, everybody here, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing, and that's why why you're seeing this. You know, it's a it's a much more global conversation, but with the relaxing of immigration laws in Western Europe and parts of Eastern Europe, you're seeing a lot of different people going to countries like I don't know if it's Turkey, but like France and Italy and Germany, where they did not have the melting pot that the United States had, and so they're now people who were just sort of let's take France, they were just proud of France, France is better than England and Germany and Italy. Now they have other targets within France and that's they're calling that in Western Europe the American model because America, you know, what Mondale said is true. There are is this sort of America first, oh, we're the best stars and stripe, these colors don't run, all that stuff. But by the same token, they had Russia as an enemy. Now it seems like this fracturing is because of all the different people and their beliefs that are the enemies from within. And that's what they're afraid of happening in Western Europe as well and other countries. Yeah, somebody, I'm gonna to go to members for a second. On Twitch, uh, I am but a fish, already fun, uh, wrote in, nah, the second someone even hints at the fact that they like Trump or some crap, I cut them off. That's interesting. Look, guys, I'm, I'm tempted to say yes to that. And you know my personality, I mean, they cross the line. And I'm gonna do. I'm gonna cut them off, right? No, I, I know, but but how do you do? Like I have like this guy I was talking about is one of my oldest friends. I went to college with him. I, he is literally one of the funniest people I know. I know he's. I've known he was a Republican, but he was a George H.W. Bush Republican, but he didn't stay. He didn't stay with Romney and that wing. He, I know, supported Trump, and I know that he'll vote for him in, in November if he's on the ballot. But I love this guy, you know. I mean, like aside from that, so I don't talk to him about it at all. I don't want to cut him off. I'm, you know, I've got X years left. He's hysterical. I have a good time with him. Um, it's a tough. It's it creates really difficult situations. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to get to. Look, there's a line, and if you cross the line, we're going to have issues, right? Um, but I don't want to cut him off because I think that uh, long-term exposure to the others will help them see that no, Muslims aren't any different than you. I know that it sounds impossible to believe. I know that it sounds that way, unfortunately, in America. But they really aren't. They really aren't, okay? I mean, I had a three hour debate with Sam Harris about this, and he still wouldn't believe me, and those folks wouldn't, still wouldn't believe me. But, but I think that, that we're way better off engaging than withdrawing. I'm really worried about withdrawing. Um, I've got more thoughts on that, but Mondale, what do you think? Yeah, Jing, I I I, I hear you, and I and I'm I'm glad that's your ministry. It's definitely not mine, because um, I'm I'm like uh, I am but a fish. Because once I hear anything about supporting of Trump, I cannot, for the sake of our democracy, you can't tell me you love this country or you care about this country at all or the people of this country, and you support a man who said we should do away with the Constitution so as to remain in power. I think you know we we saw him in in the Dakotas. Uh, over the weekend, and people are talking about putting him on Mount Rushmore, and I'm thinking, you know, Trump is the antithesis of Mount Rushmore. The four faces up that all had a role about including people or you know making a way for this democracy to exist. When Trump does not care about this democracy, Trump cares about Trump. And I think anybody that said they support Trump the first term, uh, you might get a pass from me. But right now, after we've seen what what he is, what monster he is, and what he's willing to sacrifice for himself. I can't I can't sit idle by that. Trump is beyond a dog whistle. He's a uh, he's a whale a horn. 
Yeah, I mean, look, of course, if you push folks, they get to a super uncomfortable spot, right? So even if I'm doing it in the most gentle way, so I'll say, hey, so Donald Trump wanted to ban all Muslims from the country, and I'm Muslim, so can you see why I don't support them? They'll, the first thing they'll say is, no, he didn't. No, those seven countries weren't all Muslim, and that's not a Muslim ban, fake news. And I say, all right, brother, okay. Let's put that aside as to whether that's what he implemented. But you know, he said on the campaign trail, I wanna stop all Muslims from coming into the country until we figure out what the hell is going on. That's a fact, you all know that, right? And they acknowledge, yeah, okay, oh, so what, he said that. <laughs> but I'm like, so you want me to support a guy who would have banned me from the country? And then it gets super awkward, right? It's super uncomfortable, because there is no answer for that. And the real answer for that is, yeah, but I'm not you, so I don't really care that much. Um, so, so it's tough, it's tough. But at the same time, I'm positive that we're better off engaging than not engaging. Because then if we get into our own islands, oh, we're never gonna recover as a country. We're, you know, I just. We exist, we, we exist in this space, progressives and people on the outside of the aisle exist in this space um, where we think bipartisan may be or may have some benefits. But in actuality, if you think about anything that's progressive, it wasn't done because of bipartisanship. And the Republican Party looks at bipartisanship as if, as if it's cancer. So I think, you know, we're the only people in our democracy, we're the only actors talking about bipartisan. You would never hear a Republican ad talking about. I'm gonna go to Washington and work with Democrats and Republicans. You're, you're not gonna win, you're not gonna win. But in every Democratic ad, you hear something about either bipartisans or I work with both Republicans and Democrats. And I think that we, we need to really take account of that. Cuz how many people do we lose trying to curtail or placate to Republicans? How many people on the outside of the house that we could bring out or engage or bring around um, by sitting and wasting three hours with people that are never gonna see the world the way we see it? Yeah, so you know, I, I got a bifurcation there. If you're talking about uh, politics, no, I if <laughs> I don't want to uh, do a deal with Mitch McConnell because there is no way in the world that Mitch McConnell would agree to a deal that doesn't help the super rich and corporations and his donors. It's not remotely possible. So if Mitch McConnell comes to me and says, "Hey, Jenk, I'd like to make pass a constitutional amendment to get money out of politics," okay. All right, I'll take yes for an answer, but he ain't gonna do that. So if you're gonna do any deal with McConnell, it's almost by definition going to be a dirty deal, in my opinion, okay? And so on the other hand, some of the worst guys might actually give you something that you want, right? Like Louis Gohmert's for a convention where you could propose an amendment to get money out of politics. Louis Gohmert's the same maniac who thought that Obama was gonna reconstitute the Ottoman Empire. He literally said that on the floor of the house. In a speech, as recorded, okay? And he also said that Obamacare was going to kill 20% of the women in this country. 20%. They say, what is it, 33 million? No, 66 million people? I don't know. A giant number. I have the I have it in the book. Speaking of which, here we go. Louis Cipher says, book? What is this book you speak of? Well, I'm glad you asked. Tyt.com slash justice. Louie, Louie, <laughs> Louie, Louie. I get it. I get it. Okay. Anyways, but but overall, though, on the bipartisanship, the reason I brought it up is 
I'm very wary when it comes to like the normal bipartisanship that Washington brags about. Very, very wary. I don't think that's necessarily a good thing or these days even possible. I will take yes for an answer if they agree with us. But I meant mainly in, in personal lives, right? And, and that's where I'm gonna hang in there and try to convince them that to go in a different direction. And I, what I've noticed, I've noticed it online a little bit. I'm trying to reach out online. And something's like really simple gets somebody to go, oh, maybe this guy's not so bad, right? Uh, like I did something like, hey, do we have, what do we have in common? And I listed like five of the simplest things in the world. Like that I, one of them was I like the Steelers. And you'd be surprised at how surprised they were. Like they're like, you like football? You watch it with your kids? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we live in the same country, right? You like subs, yeah, but you watch the red. I zone. like subs. You watch the red zone channel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Michael throwing shade at me there. Yeah, okay, right. <laughs> Mondale, do you watch football? I um, watch at football, meaning I'll screen the scores and laugh. <laughs> okay, so you don't have a favorite I team? I don't. I don't have a favorite team. Like not enough to talk about. I I I know the I know the rules of the game. I know it's six plus one and four 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 ten yard attempts, some something like that. Football. <laughs> it's the maker. It's the maker of big men bring into mush. That's what I know it is. Okay. No, your answer was very clear. Okay. So I, I, so this is a thing that I always ask everybody on old school at some point. Well, I'm not positive that I I've asked Michael, and I'm not positive that I know the answer even though I've known Michael a couple of decades. Um, but I'll start with you, Mondale. Did you play any sports in high school? No. Did you play anything like instrument? Did you any clubs, anything? Nope, joined the Marine Corps fresh out of high school and tried to box in the Marine Corps and got popped in the head and didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> see, that's what, you see, Mondale just common sense uh, turns out I don't like being punched in the head. Next, yeah, right? <laughs> okay, that's the kind of read a book. I'm gonna read a book or something. <laughs> I like that you get punched in the head. You're like, give me a book. Somebody give me a book. I'm done with this. <laughs> here, here to that. Here, here. But I, unlike you, got hit in the head many, many times in football and rugby, and never learned the lesson. <laughs> and this is why Jake spends time trying to convert Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> Old rugby injury. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah, I remember walking into emergency rooms in Philadelphia, and they'd say, "Oh, so the rugby game's over?" <laughs> because every day after every game, we send two or three guys to the hospital, and so when they see us walking in with our cleats and blood all over us, they're like, "Oh, rugby game's out." <laughs> I played rugby one semester, my first semester of college. Oh, you did? Yeah, and I hated it. I just didn't like it at all. I don't think I was very good, but I wasn't tough enough to play rugby. I'm gonna admit something super embarrassing. Yeah. And and it gives you a sense of how much people change, right? Um, the entire time that I played rugby, about four years, I never quite perfectly knew the rules. <laughs> okay. So and and so like you have to drop the ball. And then you could pick it up, like if you get tackled, and then you could pick it up later. But when later? 
This is like Mondale. This is like Mondale describing football. It's, it's the same but thing. I, except I played no, for you. Yeah, well, that's true. That's okay. a good point. Yeah. Okay, and I'm like, look, here's the part I understand. Give me the ball. I'm gonna run over some guys, and then when I get that <laughs> to that place, I'm gonna put the ball on the ground. Right. 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 Okay. Got it. Step aside, Butch. Okay. <laughs> so, so I wasn't bad. I wasn't bad. Um, and uh, and our team was really great. But but I never fully figured out exactly when you drop the ball and exactly when you pick up the ball, which seems like it's kind of critical. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up is it's amazing how much people change. Because if 53 year old Jenk, this Jenk was on that practice field with the, when the coach explained it for the first time when I was a freshman, I would have been like, nope, hold up, back it up. Yeah. Okay, let's go over this one more time and two more times if we need to, because I just got here and this is a strange sport. Tell me exactly when I can pick up the ball, right? Right, And that's the thing I didn't say when I was 18 and 19, because I was scared. I was scared that I was, I was gonna look like an idiot and everybody else understood and I was the only one who didn't. Um, but, but look, honestly, like I don't like conflict and I don't like awkward situations. I, I'll go a, a decade without correcting uh, my name to a person I know. So they'll call me Sank or Yank or Hank for a decade and I'll be like, I'm good with it. As long as I don't have to tell you it's Jank, because that's gonna be super awkward. Right. And the longer you wait, the more awkward it becomes. So like once you're a year in, it's too late. You're gonna have to ride it out for the rest of your life. I'm Hank to him, yeah. he's my friend and I'm Hank to him. <laughs> Manja's amazed by me. <laughs> Not in a good way. Because <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I, I love conflict. You know, I'm, I'm an in your face type of guy. I think part of that is being one of 13 kids, the middle child, where you were nobody's favorite and you always forgotten, which was great because it allowed me to sneak out the house at night and be my own person and not somebody's big brother or little brother. But um, I think it made me also this like extremely like, like to the point type of person. Like I, I'm just gonna say, nope, it's William. It's not William. It's William. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Also, because you think of middle child, you think, oh, there's a, there are three kids and there's one in the middle. No, there's 13. There's six on either side of Mondale. That's <laughs> is that right? Are you the exact middle? I am. It's six before me and six after. Whoa. Okay. All right. Yeah. Let's pause on that. How was that growing up with 12 siblings? It's, um, I, it's, I'll tell you the best way to sum it up. I didn't know this thing, I, I knew the word quiet. I didn't know what it was until I joined the Marine Corps. Like I had never heard quiet and it was kind of freaky. Um, so it's always chaotic, especially when you introduce poverty to the situation and we were extremely poor. Um, Where'd you grow up? What town did you grow up in, Mondo? Uh, Infield, North Carolina. In Enfield, I went back yeah. hometown to become mayor. Yep. Um, so it's 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 small town, rural, uh, majority black town in eastern North Carolina, and uh, and all the remnants of white supremacy still exist. So I mean, we had all of that, the Klan marching, and then it's six people in one bed. It's so you know a three bedroom gives the girl a room, the boys a room, and the parents a room. And so you know it's it's you get very close to people and real tired of them. That's really funny. So how many brothers did you have? It's five brothers, I got five brothers and seven sisters. Okay, so the six of you were one room? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so 
So usually some like the older ones, me and my older brother Dexter would sleep on the floor sometimes. Sometimes we would like rotate and sleep at the foot of the bed, but yeah, six of us. Wow, wow that is real, okay. Uh, so do you know all of their birthdays? Don't do that. <laughs> so watching right now. Of course, I know all of their birthdays. Right, yeah. <laughs> and their children's names. Of and course. Their spouse's name. I don't know half of them people. <laughs> <laughs> so, are your parents still with us? They are. Um, they are. They live out in the uh, outside of town limits where I'm the mayor. Um, two old country folks, simple people. Yep. Been, they've been together, you know. Almost as long as you've been an adult, Jim, some 40 some years. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, just country folk, never really left. My dad has a sixth grade education, my mom has a third. My dad, the reason I tell a lot of people, the reason we are, we were, poverty was such an important part of our life was because my dad grew up the son of a sharecropper and it was more important for him to be on the farm than in class. So he would, in third, fourth grade, he would miss. To one, two months in a row and go back to school. And he said the teacher would embarrass him, saying, Oh, we got a new student, and make him stand up and introduce himself every time. So he was just, you know, it was just more important for him to be on the farm. And then when he turned to seven, when he became 17 or 16, he hit uh, the white guy who grew up, he was the son of the uh, farm owner, uh, because that guy pushed my grandmother off the porch. And my dad reacted, and my dad got a felony conviction um, after the. The sheriff finally caught him because they were gonna give the can the clan was gonna kill him. But when they finally caught him, they locked him up and he got a felony conviction. And that felony kind of like limited what we could do. Uh, but you know, my dad, of course, is not uh, an anomaly. He's born in 49, so he his story is that of many Southern black men. So, you know, being young and curious and not had so many, I had so many extra hours because I wasn't playing football or basketball. I read a lot of books about why black men my dad's age could do everything like train dogs, uh, lay carpet, build a house, uh, fix cars, but their family still starve. And this was when my, you know, when I started understanding white supremacy was a real thing, even if you couldn't see it. Mm, yeah. Uh, so, so how many folks in your uh, family wound up going to college? Me. I'm the only graduate out of, out of my, out of all of my siblings, all of my nieces and nephews. I have 65 nieces and nephews. Some of them are great nieces and nephews, and um, I'm the only one with a college degree. Wow. I'm the first person all the way back to plantation. Yeah. So it, my dad is, was the first one, no, second one after my uncle uh, to get a college degree in his family. I mean, it, they were in s s rural southeastern Turkey. That nobody had even heard of a college degree. They didn't. If my uncle hadn't told my dad about college, my dad would never known, and he'd still be on a farm there. And you know, I wouldn't exist because my mom wouldn't have married him. <laughs> and, and and the list goes on. But Mondale and I would just be doing this show. Yeah. <laughs> um, It'd be Eminem instead of old exactly. School. Yeah. It, no yeah. book. We wouldn't have to plug a book. Yeah. Great. Which book? Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a lot of right wingers now going, well, that don't sound so bad. Uh, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> but anyways, uh, but at least his brother told him, like his brother came and said, all right, you, you hate this field that we're working on, right? And it was super hot there and stuff. And he's like, oh yeah, my dad's like, oh yeah, I hate it. He's like, I found a way to get out, it's called college. And my dad's like, well, I'm all yours. And so my uncle explained it to him, and then my dad wound up becoming a mechanical engineer. But Mondial, how did you know? How did you figure it out? 
Well, I mean, you know, like I said, I was curious. And especially like having this dichotomy that existed inside of me of like loving my dad so much for being this guy who everybody in the neighborhood would come to to fix their cars, do anything, fix their house, pave their driveway, literally. Um, but we could barely eat sometimes. And, and and the first part of my life, we didn't even have running water. It was still an outhouse uh, on the first house I lived in when I was growing up. So I, I mean, I, I really was frustrated with that. And I you know, I used to try to help my parents out um, by like dumpster diving, getting bottles and cans out of the trash can um, to like recycle. Back then you could recycle bottles for 15 cent each. That's how old I am. Um, and, and I would just give my parents the money. But one day I found the book, The Souls of Black Folk in one of the dumpsters. And I read that book four or five times. And I knew at that moment that like there was something uh, deeper for me to be doing as it pertains to race. Uh, and then I had this one teacher and this one bus driver. This bus driver used to pray over me every day um, with her anointment oil. And I still to this day swear that was Vaseline. But she said it was anointed by Jesus, so I'm gonna roll with it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and also um, talk about prayer in school. And also I uh, had this one teacher in eighth grade who scared the living hell out of me. She told me she wanted to uh, take my brain and give it to one of the kids in the special needs class because they didn't ask for it like I act like I don't want it. And I think that scared me and I got real serious about school. So I graduated from high school a semester early. And the only thing I knew how to leave town was the Marine Corps military. So I joined the Marine Corps, not because I was patriotic, or anything like that, but because I needed an escape. And after that, I learned very fast that the Marine Corps was as racist, if not more racist than than the regular society. So I wanted out, and then I started, you know, figuring out about school and went to college. All right, your story is only incredible. Yeah, and I don't have anything else to say. Wow, you found that book in the dumpster. And then the read that, and that's how it started. I read that book too, W.E.B. Du Bois. Yes, yes, I, I read it four times that year. But I, I, I promise you, as an adult, I, I can look back and say now some of the stuff he's talking about, I had no clue about. But you know, I, I think it really did. It's the trajectory between because if you consider me and my siblings had the same teachers, uh, we rode the same bus, we lived in the same house with the same parents. The difference was that book and my time, it's you amazing. know, dumpster diving, trying to help out my family. Absolutely. That is. Remarkable story, but I, I want to go back to the uh, Christian thing here uh, because I mean this is actually a good panel here because we've got a, a Jew, a Muslim, and a Christian walk into an old. Sounds school. like a right. Jew. <laughs> <Right. laughs> okay, so um, but by the way, welcome to America. This is what America looks like. Um, so <laughs> Tucker right now is going no. Not the South Dakota America that I was in just a few days ago, but nonetheless. Tucker's like, I know they're rolling out the Starbucks. They say, actually, twostrongcoffee.com slash TYT if you want to drink coffee every day. All right, anyways, so. Uh, By the way, do we take a break on old school? This we do, we, we do, do in okay. a little bit. Okay. I'm just curious. Um, so, I don't know what anointment oils are. And I've heard Christian folk, but usually from the South, talk about it. And I never asked anyone. And so I decided, you know what? I'm gonna fix that mistake from rugby right now. I'm gonna ask right away. Okay. What yes. is an anointment oil? It's actually technically it's any type of oil that these people have prayed over and blessed. That's the same thing with holy water. If it's been prayed over and blessed, um, then it's if you rub it on someone, it's supposed to protect them by in in, in, in my case, by the by the Christian Jesus. So anything that's been prayed over with, with well blessings and, and and hopes, good hopes for your life. Okay. And every culture has their 
anointment mm. oil too. Like they all have that one, you know. In you know, Mexican culture, Latin American culture, it's VIX. It turns out is anointment oil. <laughs> so, so, it's just, better blessings, right? Yeah, I was gonna say it probably <laughs> works better too. But yeah, that's so. It, it is. It's and it's sort of like uh, you know, it just gets the name because it was prayed over. So you can make that. You can make your too strong coffee, anointment oil. Wait a minute, now, now we're having we're a conversation. To, yeah, now In we're fact, to something. I just did. All the too strong <laughs> coffee is now anointment coffee. Go crazy! It'll uh, if we were right wingers, that's what we would do. Yeah. And it'll make your penis larger. Um, <laughs> now we're right wing. Now we're right wing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. That's why I said it. That's exactly what the right wing would do. <laughs> Anyways, um, and then what is? And I assume praying on someone means just like praying over, the, praying about them to help them, to protect them, etc. Right? Yes, indeed. What people don't know about, and this is going to make a lot of Christians <laughs> mad at me, right? Especially old black Christians. What people will not say is a lot of black Christian traditions aren't even Christian. They're from our African roots, and people don't even know that. Like, there's so many things that black people in the South do, and I know from you know divinity school and and, and just like being a student of the world uh, that this is not of Christian. This is of like your African roots. They do it. Uh, some of the stuff like some of the praying over or like how you keep people out your house in the South, throw salt over your back, or people talk about the devil riding your 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 back when you're asleep. All of this comes from our African roots, but it's been intertwined into our version. Christianity. This is why I tell people a lot of the time, black Christianity and white Christianity are completely different religions. Yeah, and people forget, of course, in every culture where stuff came from, like Turks have a million things like don't ever pass a knife to someone without spitting on it. You don't actually physically spit on it, but you pretend spit on it. Otherwise, you'll have bad blood and and stuff. All right. Um, so listen, for the, as you all know, that watch Old School regularly, we got now a members only episode coming up. We still haven't gotten to Michael Sports other than rugby for, uh, <laughs> for one semester. For one semester. We know that. Okay. Yeah. And we haven't gotten to Jimmy Buffett yet. And I have a lot of uh, uh, Buffett questions. Okay. So lots of fun left. Uh, TYT.com slash join. Or if you're watching on YouTube, just hit the join button below and we'll see you in a minute.